Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. It's the Final Word Cricket Podcast. Just Adam Collins with you for this one. And welcome to episode one of the Final Word Book Club. In hindsight, this is probably something we should have formalised years ago, given the number of books that we've discussed on the show. But the plan here is to try and feature books and authors on a more regular basis that capture the game from a wider perspective. So it'll still be the case that we get high-profile players and writers on the podcast to discuss their autobiographies and latest offerings. For example, when we finally land a date to get Mark Wood on... We'll still give it the full final word treatment there to tell his story alongside his biography come self-help book that he published last year. Whereas on Book Club, we'll tend to stray a bit beyond the nitty gritty of the international game. If it all goes to plan, either Jeff or I will do one of these interviews about once a month. We'll see how we get on. With all of that in mind, we come to our author today, Tom Hicks. Tom, in many ways, led a charmed life as a player. A first-class skipper by virtue of his alma mater, Oxford University, and nearly 20 years jicking it out in minor county cricket for Dorset, not to mention more games at Lords than any amateur could ever wish for. At times, this feels like a bit of a cricketing fairy tale. Yet, there's an anonymity to his time as well, reflected in the name of his memoir, Bowler's Name, The Life of a Cricketing Also Ran. Spending an afternoon bowling in tandem with Tom a few weekends ago for the Authors 11, he gave me the short version of his story, which prompted me to read his book, and I thought he'd be the perfect first guest. All right, I'm recording here in Manchester and the man I am interviewing today, Tom Hicks, about his book, Bowler's Name, The Life of a Cricketing Also Ran, is in Hong Kong. And we'll we'll start on this. We had to delay our interview this morning because you've just gone through what's called in in weather jargon as a super typhoon. So welcome to the show and tell us a little bit about the super typhoon before we discuss your book. Yeah, thanks, Adam. Yeah, what a day. Uh, We had our first day of of school today uh, at Harrow, Hong Kong, where I work as a principal deputy head. We welcomed all the children in this morning. um, But over the course of the day, the the weather authorities, the Hong Kong Observatory, told us that there was a super typhoon on the way. And um, the likelihood is it's going to reach what they call a T10, 
And there's only been one of those in the last five years. Uh, of course, it came on day one of school. So <laughs> we had to shut the, shut the school. We got to send all of our boarding pupils home. And uh, yeah, that's all we had to delay. But yeah, look, glad, uh, glad we can catch up eventually. So we met uh, playing for the Authors 11 a few weeks ago, just as someone had sent me a note, as I explained in the intro, saying, you should start a final word book club. I'm like, that's a good idea. And we were talking about the book that you published a, a couple of years ago. And it, it kind of is an interesting book on a number of levels, but not least the, the weird sort of in-between place you occupy in the cricketing landscape. As Vic Mark said in his review in the Wisdom Almanac of it, you're a much better than average player, despite the self-deprecating nature of the title. You've had sort of a time in the game we, we were probably all trade places for who didn't get to play professionally, yet uh, you had a relatively anonymous career as well, thus the name, Bowler's name, I suppose. Yeah, the name came quite late, actually. Um, there were a couple of working titles which wouldn't have ever made it through the publishers, but um, very much that's the you know, you'll hear guys driving past the cricket ground on a Saturday and they'll you know how's that bowler's name <laughs> um or the scorer shouting out because they don't know who you are and that mm. was exactly the point is actually the book's about the fact that I yeah as you say very lucky to rub up alongside during my career with some of the you know the great names really of the the late 20th century early 21st century on the field off the field got to play in some amazing places, got to play at Lords. Um, so a little bit of first class cricket when the universities were deemed to be first class and quite a lot of minor counties cricket. So mm, mm. yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I did okay. Uh, you know, I went okay in minor counties and I got a few first class scouts, which is, you know, one can take that away. But um, for many years, I think when you're growing up and you're, you're netting and being selected for England youth and the regional sides and you you're in the net with Graham Swan and so on. I guess you think you're going to, you hope you're going to make it in professional cricket. And that didn't quite work out for me. And I, you know, I was quite bitter about that, I think, mm. you know, to, to begin with. But then I think you look back at it and you say, well, as you said, you know, what, what a what a great time cricket has, has given me and gives so many people. So once I got over that bitterness, I thought, you know, I've had a lot of escapades, a lot of fun, a lot of success, a lot of failure, um, but mostly fun. And um, I just thought, you know, write it down. I think a lot of people hopefully can get something out of it because my experience is, you know, covers everything from grassroots through to playing at club cricket, but also trying to make it and not quite making it. I think a lot of people feel that as well. Yeah, and I think that's why, in many ways, it's quite a relatable book. In other ways, it's quite an unrelatable book, and we'll get into that through our discussion, I'm sure. But I think for those who are listening who aren't from the English system, you might need to explain what minor counties and indeed what universities means as a, a player over here, sort of provide some context around the, the sort of player you were and, and what you did uh, in your pomp, if you like. Yeah, I guess so. You know, so growing up, and I mentioned mentioned Graham Swan. He was probably the biggest name from the the year group. So age group cricket going through. I, I grew up in uh, in the south of England in a county called Dorset, which um, a nice coastal county. You know, do go there on holiday if you're in the area. It's beautiful. But I grew up there, and I played for Dorset for. In the end, I played for twenty seven years because I ended up being sort of man and boy. But um, it was when I got to about eighteen that uh, the op opportunity, I, did, I was very lucky, I did well at school and the opportunity came to go to Oxford University. And at the time, Oxford and Cambridge had this privileged position where they were first class uh, teams. And we had a fixture list of around seven games in a season, which were first class. So six of those against counties. And then we had this you know, amazing luxury of playing against each other at Lords and in the varsity match, which just, I think was, was probably at the time the oldest first class fixture. Um, so... 
what was great about that was actually you could continue to to follow your academic career but also play against these guys and the idea was hopefully that that would open a door and people would look and say actually you know here's some good cricketers who if they want to have some time playing the sport before they go into a career perhaps in academia or, or elsewhere then 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 let's do that now that's that world has has you know sort of it still exists but it's no longer first class it's become more parochial and um, so I did have a chance I did you know I had trials with with Derbyshire and with Worcestershire and and I thought you know I could still make it certainly felt that I was good enough to make it into the professional arena but along the same time the minor counties is probably the highest level you can play as a as an amateur in in England so you have your club cricket which will take you to Premier League cricket and then between Premier League cricket and professional county cricket you've got this minor county level uh, multi-day cricket we were playing three-day cricket and it, it ended up being a place I suppose where you did have some ex-pros playing so they brought the experience and a bit of gnarly wisdom with them and then you also had some young guys coming through so I think the likes of Jack Leach for instance we were lucky to play with Jack when he was 18 19 20 uh, trying to make his way at Somerset, we gave him an opportunity to bowl, to play a multi-day cricket, to bowl, you know, second innings. And I, I hope that he learned a little bit about how to bowl sides out in a way which you don't really learn playing just sort of 50 over Saturday cricket. So I don't know what it equates to in Australia. It's probably in and around there, sort of second grade, maybe first grade. I'm not, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, I haven't played in Australia, so I can't really... Made that comparison, but it's a, it's a decent level, put it that way. Sure, yeah, it feels like in a way like cricketing purgatory, right? Because you're you're seeing um, these fantastic cricketers come into your orbit uh, either on the way up or, or on the way down, um, if you like the cricketing pyramid. So you're seeing guys, indeed, at university as well, right? Like someone like Jamie Dalrymple, who you played with at Oxford, who goes on to enjoy a modest but an England career as an England's career, right? If anyone would would take one of those. And in age group cricket, you describe a number of times running into Graham Swan, who you've explained. Um, his presence already is such a, a great player as a, a young kid, you know, but when you're on the way up and when you're making that journey, you want the dream like anybody does. You know, you get picked on, on tours to go overseas to play in the Caribbean. You kind of feel like a pro when you're still very much a teenager. Yeah, definitely. And I think it was just at a time when cricket was just starting to become more professionalised. So, things like the and under 15s I was selected to go up to the the England Academy so there's probably 15 or 16 of us that went there and you're, you're meeting guys like Steve Bull the psychologist who went on to have a, a pretty good career or maybe still works with England as a psychologist and there's uh, people like Mickey Stewart and Graham Gooch would be would be you know asked to come along and coach you so you know you're rubbing shoulders with people that have been there and done it, the, the top people Fred Titmus these guys so you start to feel pretty special about, and you know, you think, well, actually, this is the pathway is there for you, but it's a far cry from what it is today in terms of the the level of psychological focus, the level of fitness focus that you're expected to do. In those days, probably, you know, we did about, you know, maybe a little bleep test, a, a sit and reach test, and you know, we'll, we'll see how you go. Whereas now they'd be doing all sorts of things, and you'd be given a proper a proper plan, I think, and be looked after much better. So. I do think, you know, looking back that had I had a, someone put their arm around me and say, look, actually, you need to do these things. You've got a good opportunity here. Then I'd have probably done better. But in some ways, I was my own worst enemy. So that comes out in the book a little bit. Mm, it's um, mm. 
there's a bit of self-loathing in there as well, a bit of regret. But, um, you know, I think that that's, again, what I think people can relate to is in the end, you've got to own your own choices. So there's a lesson in that. Yeah, I think it's quite, um, it, it does come through quite strongly, that, that sense that you, you, you could have if had having made other decisions. And we might get into a little bit of that later as well. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting, your, your site fitness theory. I think Jonathan Agnew in his um, diary of being a county cricketer eight days a week refers to the fact that fitness training in English professional ranks was a bit of a thing for about three weeks before the season and no one ever spoke about it again it was all about just you know playing and, and getting in the nets on, on days when you weren't as rare as that that would have been uh, when, when he was on the circuit but I, I suppose the difference for you when you go to university is that you chose to go to Oxford or Cambridge didn't quite work out at Cambridge end up at Oxford because you wish to be a first class cricketer I mean your dream is to be a professional cricketer and you see this as an avenue to that pursuit which is quite unusual for I suppose people who didn't necessarily ever think to go to an institution like that well yeah and i think at the time it then developed so it the the powers that be the ecb at the time looked at this and said actually it's too elite and quite rightly so and i think oxford and cambridge had certainly given up on the idea of you know the the, the old days of you know the cowdries and the mike atherton's who you know they would be given a bit of a concession to um, have a bit of time off to play their cricket. But by the time I was there, you know, very much my my tutors were happy, you know, delighted to see, you know, my name as captain of the university and getting blues and so on. But, you know, I didn't get much free, you know, freedom from the study. And certainly in terms of applying, you didn't. So what they did is they set up six different centres of excellence around the country and, and Durham and Loughborough really being the powerhouses, I guess, there and the Cardiff and Leeds as well. And they really did want to make a pathway for for young young guys. It was boys at the time. I think, you know, for girls it probably developed, but for boys to go and not have to make a choice at the age of 18 between school and, and sport, which was great. Um, and I was very lucky to be captain at the time that happened. So, um, you know, it was ridiculous at the age of 19 to be put in a room with the likes of Graham Diddy and interviewing him, you know, for for a job and, you know, who the hell am I to be to be saying, you know, you're you're going to be good enough, or you're not going to be good enough to coach the likes of me? But that was the how it, that was that was that happened. And um, so for a few years, actually, these centres of excellence worked really well, and there were quite a number of players that came through. Uh, so particularly from Durham under Graham Fowler and and in, in Loughborough under Dilly, you mentioned Jamie Dalrymple. So I think it worked for a period of time. The MCC then then picked it up as sort of the sponsor of that. And I'm not sure exactly why why it lapsed in the end, because I think it was a nice idea that, um, you know, people could get a an education so that if things didn't go well, as in my case, that actually you can fall back on on your degree and then and go down a different avenue. So I think it was a nice fail safe for, for young people trying to make it in the game. So I think it was an avenue which was which was genuine, but probably, you know, I probably could have made more of going to a major county, so a professional county earlier, um, where I probably would have been looked after rather than sticking with, you know, the sort of loyalty with the, with the minor counties game um, at the time of Dorset. It's interesting, sort of the first third of the book 
charts almost like a fairy tale really like you know you're getting to play in all of these age group teams and, and travel and, and and kids that went on to become something really special um in, in your case you walk out and play a varsity game at lords in your first year of university and make a half century at the first time of asking it's not long after that, that you're playing a first class game against new zealand who are the touring side uh, in the summer of 1999 this stuff feels inconceivable these days for reasons you've explained then but it's very much part of your experience and, and not only that you're kind of the last generation of cricketers who could have experienced something like that too yeah I, th- I think so I mean the New Zealand game was was incredible really um, I can't remember who was reporting on it for the times uh, for the papers at the time uh, it might have been Vic uh, but um, there was I, I you know, made I think headlines on those days which you always looked out for you're always picking up the back pages and see if you, you got in there you got your name in there if you got two or three wickets against the, the counties but I was doing my exams at the time. So in, in Oxford, you had to do first year exams. And I'd got into the side, um, fortunately, because uh, Richard Dawson, who also you know, had a, a few test matches for England, you may remember, he uh, was injured. And as luck would have it, we were in Oxford at the parks. I was in the squad anyway, and I was probably the second choice off spinner and got the got the gig. I think Timmy Murta played in that game as well. Or he was certainly in the squad for that. So again, these sort of names, they just come up and their careers go different pathways. But I was uh, the second morning of the, I remember vividly actually. So we, we batted first, which was a really odd thing to do against the pros. When we played at Oxford, we never batted first because your chances are you're going to get skittled. So anyway, our, our captain decided we're going to bat first against these pros, Simon Dool, uh, Nathan Astle, you got um, Dion Nash running in. Ken's didn't play. He was in the nets, but yeah, good side. Craig McMillan and all these guys, a proper side. So I got a wicket in the evening. So we 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 got we got bowled out and I had a little bowl. It's a classic. Put the off spinner on and have a little look. And I got nicked um, one of the openers off, which was fantastic. So there I was thinking, well, I got this test player out. And then the next morning, I had to go and do my exams in 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 Oxford. And in Oxford, it's the only university you have to wear. You have to get properly dressed up. You have to wear like a gown and a white bow tie, and you have to have your mortarboard. So I went off to this game, sorry, to the exam, and then I came back to the parks as quickly as I could after the exam sort of on a bike, cycled in as fast as I could. And all the other guys from Loughborough, Durham, the New Zealanders are looking at me just like, what the hell are you going to come straight out of Harry Potter? <laughs> and, um, and you know, well, I'd, I'd left the game at 50 for one, thinking, well, we could probably get a couple in the morning. 180 for one at lunchtime. And the captain said, you know, you ready to bowl all afternoon? And uh, I was like, well, absolutely, if I can. And, and actually went went pretty well. I think I got maybe two wickets, three wickets, but it was... Um, you know, against Stephen Fleming and these guys. And as you say, when you're 19 years old and you're you're getting wickets and actually the keeper dropped Fleming, I've never let him forget that. But um, yeah, and, and you know, I think at the time you don't think this isn't going to work out. You're, you're like, yeah, this is an obvious step on the way to my professional career. So mm-hmm. it was, um, yeah. I mean, you know, how is that? Like you're playing at Lords one day, you're playing at New Zealand. That's incredible. It's great fun. I've got this mate who used to say that um, he, he wishes that uh, life had played out in such a way that he might have played a bit of lower division professional football in Italy in his 20s. And what a great story that would be. I mean, you know, there is a bit of that to you as well, right? I mean, yeah. you know, your second year at, at Oxford, you made you know, captain of the of the university, which means you're a first class captain going to Lords for the captain's meetings with all the 18 <laughs> first class counties and you and the, and, and, the, and the bloke who was leading Cambridge at the time. And you know, you're part of that 
ecosystem despite being pretty much a kid on the basis of the institution that you go to university at. I mean, it's a, it's a staggering thing that, I mean, I, I don't want to discredit what it was, but you read it now with the benefit of hindsight and the benefit of, you know, the better part of quarter of a century and you think, wow, this is a, a most unusual thing that wasn't that far in the, in the distant past. It wasn't, but that's, that was one of the things about the book was meant to be originally something trying to capture, a, a, as you say, a sort of liminal moment in cricket where actually this is, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's going to be like gentlemen and players stuff. It's, mm. uh, it's a time gone past now and it's probably where it belongs, but to sort of inhabit that, as you say, and to sort of see it from the inside was sort of fun. So on the one hand, you're looking forward to being, you know, maybe part of the, the new generation, but on the other hand, when you're sitting in the parks and your your captain, your name gets to the top of the you know the inscribed list of names there, and some of the names in that room, you know, the Nawaba Batori, the MC Cowdery, Imran Khan, um, you know, he, there's a, there's a <laughs> there's something very powerful about seeing your name amongst these people and and inscribed in there, and of course you've got to remember going back into those days this is where the power was this is where the power lied you know in 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 english society you know the these are the people that are going to go off to you know create empire i suppose in some respects or go and be politicians and so on so you, you know you'd be forgiven i think as a 19 20 year old for feeling a bit you know like i'm i'm pretty special here mm, mm. um you get reminded of that you're not on the field <laughs> you know um because you know you can't cheat the game but nonetheless, you do feel pretty, pretty special getting that dark blue jazz, that blazer on and you know, tossing up at Lords. It's, it's just something that you just feel enormously privileged to have done. And look, I suppose for club cricketers, you know, you're playing in your first team on a Saturday. There's a thing, I think it's Greg Chappell possibly, that says that you know, you're only ever six hundreds away from grade cricket to playing for the Australian cricket team. Of course, it needs to be the perfect sequence of events. And maybe that's not true anymore. Maybe it was true once upon a time. But, I mean, you take you have a nine-wicket match against Northamptonshire, a first-class county, in an undefeated season for Oxford University where you're the captain. I mean, having a game where you are the match winner in a first-class fixture against a county. I mean, these are these must be vivid memories for you and, and, a, and a symbol of the fact that it was kind of within touching distance at that juncture. Well, we undefeated that year. I didn't realise that. That's, um, that's news to me. Um, it's in your book. Oh, 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 <laughs> oh right. Oh, well, no, I promise I wrote it. Um, oh, I, uh, no, I'll take it. I, know, I think, I think in, actually, when I did the research, yeah, it was a surprise. And it, it, it didn't feel that way. I think we, you know, we, we scraped we scraped some draws. We had the weather. But nonetheless, the Northamptonshire game was... Does, yeah, it does live in the memory because, in fact, that's a game that Graham Swan was playing in, as well as a guy called Jason Brown, who also, I think, was, I don't think he maybe went on tour with England, but at the time they were touted as um, being, you know, the sort of the, the, the spin twins. And, God, we had this guy who batted number 11 who just just took took to them, just sort of spanking them over mid-wicket with, um, you know, just a, one of these really great big bats. And they put on a huge amount, 130, I think, for the last wicket, which kept us in the game. And then I got four in the first innings and I picked up five in the second. And then they declared, which was very frustrating because, you know, you, you got a chance of getting 10 for in the match. And I was in, yeah, I was in really good form then uh, at the time. And to be a, to win a first class game as captain, as a team, I think in the past there had been individuals from Oxford, a guy called Mark War, who played for Warwickshire, not 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 the Mark War, but you know, Mark War. You get a triple triple century sure. in first class cricket. Not a bad player. But he got hundreds. He got back to back hundreds against Kent a few years previous to my joining the the university. 
but he used to win games for Oxford. But we had a, it was a team effort. We, we really dug deep to sort of get over the line in the chase, I think by three wickets. And, um, yeah, it set us on the road to what, what should have been a, a great game at Lords for us against Cambridge. But in the end, it, it, it was a bad tempered game and, um, and it rained. And so we didn't get a chance to, to win that. But, um, but, but yeah, as you say, you know, it's, um, something you look back on with, with pride. And not least those days at Lords, which you enjoyed quite a few of compared to, you know, mere mortals. I had the chance to play in a, you know, a sponsors game last year and it was, it was great enough to, to do something like that. But, and I know this wasn't at Lords, but the Matt Floyd 100, which I've heard his side of it, having played with him at Hampstead and, and worked a lot with Floydian, great man. But um, him making that, that first class 100 that always comes up when he worked for Sky Sports, I'd always talk about the fact that he, you know, had made that 100 for Oxford and hearing your very detailed retelling of it. Uh, and another um, anecdote that you have in the book there about Dean Kino, who's Marnus Labashain's manager these days, used to work at Cricket Australia about, I mean, where someone as accomplished as him now in yeah, in, in the professional world, you think of him as a, a, a cricketer, and, and he clearly, uh, judging by uh, your report in, in the book, had a bit of a temper on him as well. Oh, look, I got on really well with Dean, because um, we, we, we had, we started that first year and he was doing his postgrad, and I, I think he he ran in hard, he, um, he was left arm over. And we had these horrible, like two lane nets at, at Oxford where there was a sort of generator or some sort of vent behind the left arm over his arm, which was bright red. So you, you know, you just couldn't see the thing coming down. And he was very happy to, you know, overstep the mark and bang it in short, like, like most fast bowlers do in the nets. So yeah, he played every first class game against the counties. And then on the, on the selection day for the varsity match, the big one where, you know, you, you get to play at Lords and for him, it was the one chance. He didn't make the eleven, and he was yeah he was upset by that, and I can understand his frustration, of course, with that. But um, yeah, I mean, I I think you'll probably look back at how he dealt with it and think I could have I could have been more humble with that. But um, look, you know, it's easy for me to say because I was in the side, so. <laughs> I won't spoil the punchline there that the people who are listening to this will need to read the book to, to um, read what Dean Kino did when he didn't get picked for the 11. Another part of um, the, the Oxford story for you is that, um, you know, you meet a cricketing wife effectively. And by that, I mean a wife who also um, played um, cricket for Oxford from a, you know, a very boozy day at Wormsley. I mean, it's sort of, you're reading it and you're thinking it might be a, a, the chapter in a novel rather than a, uh, <laughs> rather than a reflection on something that you'd, uh, you'd done um, in your life. But going on a date at Wormsley with somebody else and you meet your wife who played earlier that day. It's, it's all very, um, it feels very in keeping with the Oxford spirit, shall we say? Well, yeah, I mean, I've probably met several potential wives at Oxford. Um, uh, but, but um, you know, that was, a yeah, uh, again, an opportunity, what an opportunity to go and play at, a, you know, great, amazing grounds. Just just to go back to the, the Dean Kino game, actually, the, well, the, the Kino game that wasn't, the, the Lord's fun, because there's another guy who Australian listeners will potentially remember from the midst of time who played in that game and also was disappointed a guy called Nathan Ashley who captained the Australia Academy I think it was on the Atherton's captaincy tour in the late 90s when England got beaten by not only by Australia heavily but also by Australia A and Australia Academy and they were just getting beaten by Australia sort of third or fourth string and Ash um, didn't even tell anyone at Oxford that he played cricket he came over in a rugby blue and it was only um, somebody in, in the, the the sort of sporting club up there, Vincent's club, who actually said, "You know, didn't you play a bit of cricket?" And he was so he was so humble. He just said, um, he, "Well, yeah." And they sort of put him in the right direction, and he 
came to nets and we realized that he was pretty special so he got 96 in the in the match uh in the varsity match in the first innings i think absolutely smashed one onto his pad and was given out lbw and um he was a very calm guy he was a good mentor for me as well but he then i mean you know he, he did a matt Pryor in the dressing room there <laughs> or allegedly what matt Pryor did what matt Pryor didn't do in the dressing room um but um yeah so that's um there was, you know, lots of things go on behind the scenes there. Yeah. So, yeah. So I met my, my now wife, Penny. Yeah. After a game at, at Getty's and then she probably played in the most entertaining game of cricket I ever saw at, at the parks where Oxford managed to defend the last 10 overs for 10 runs with taking seven wickets to beat, to beat their counterparts from Cambridge, which was, um, in the old days of culottes and long socks before 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 the women's game quite rightly became a bit more even. Yeah, another one of those relics that we're referring to there, um, culottes, which often get used as a reference point for when the women's game just, just changed a little bit and then an awful lot more in, in the 20 years since. Hi, I'm Ebony Rainford-Brent and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemmon. Another big theme through the book is just kind of how boozy cricket is, and, and it is, right? Like, we all know that. Anyone that plays um, recreational cricket knows that having a beer, be it having one or having many, and having nights out on the tiles, and and that being still a part of the professional game, I mean, even now, but probably not as much as it was when you were in the margins of it. Have you sort of had a chance to reflect on that much in your years since retirement and since leaving that um, that world of dressing rooms, just how much drinking is part of cricket when you would think that at some level we would all know that it's going to impede one's performance and, and deny you the chance to, to be as good as you could be? Oh, look, you know, that... There's probably a whole book in that. Um, I, well, I mean, I I would refer to to Luke Sutton, who, who was my agent for this book, who has written a, a very important book. I think his book about coming back from the edge, about his own struggles with alcoholism. He was a far better cricketer than I was as well. And yeah, I mean, I think you know, my mum was the one who said, "Look, I like the book, but it's there's a lot of drinking in there." I said, "Well, that that was my cricket career. There was a lot of cricket. There was a lot of drinking." I think someone else, uh, some review and you know, re- re- compared me to Percy Chapman, and was like, I was like, well, you know, I, I think I tried to make a virtue of it while I was playing, which, if I really reflected hard on it, I would, you know, say is is a good excuse, a good way of sort of smokescreen for what was probably you know developing into a pretty pretty dangerous habit, um, you know. So I would say in the book quite a few times about how my my attitude towards leadership was very much about not go out and get hammered, but just you know have a couple of beers after the game, have a cigarette, chat. I'd stay up long into the hours. I'm you know I love the game. I love talking about the game. I like analysing the game. Um, I like telling stories about you know past games and reading the history of it. So I'd be happy to stay up all night in a in a in a quiet bar having a you know a bottle of wine and or a couple of beers and talking about it. And there are plenty of people who want to do that as well. But that camaraderie, I think, took over in many ways. I do think it made a difference. And sometimes I think we we rallied round and became very strong, you know, in Dorset particularly. And very much was the it very much was the culture. And as you know, you've read the book, there's plenty of anecdotes in there with where that culture's gone a little bit haywire. But it was part of the fun. And I wouldn't want to ever, you know, go out there and say, you know, you've got to go drink to have fun or you've got to do that to be part of cricket. But it, the two things did seem to go hand in hand, as he said, and there's no point in trying to sugarcoat 
the story as it is or or, or indeed making excuses because that was the choices you got to make you made at the time um looking back if, had i had i taken a different attitude maybe i'd have been a better player probably yeah that we did an interview with uh, patrick foster last year very different kind of book to yours of course but where he documents yeah. in, in enormous and brutal detail his gambling addiction but obviously the the booze part of that in the early days and i'm not trying to be a wowser in the way i'm framing the question simply that you know that there is a a part of that which does seem odd that even in in modern cricket that that's still very much you know part of the internal conversation around cricket and no more club level, right? Or indeed minor county cricket too, which you were playing in where um, you enjoyed a, a long and productive career. We, we, the Dorset, is it the Leopards rather than the Leopards? Is that the way you said? It's you, very you, much you, the Leopards, very good. The, the I, Leopards. I think but the, but the, I think there is a there is something which perhaps is lost within the game though around the post-match, which you know had, did tend to be alongside the, the alcohol. But, you know, I learned so much in... In the, in the dressing room and yeah. in the bar afterwards, you know, it, whether it be, I think I always think about Farnham Cricket Club where I played most of my club cricket and my early years, we had a fantastic off-spin Indian guy called Harpreet Singh. And he was just a, you know, the ball just drop, you know, throw it up there and it just come down and you just think, my goodness, how do you do that? And, you know, I, I was 16 at the time, so I wasn't really, you know, able to get a beer particularly or try hard, but I wouldn't get served. And then, I just sit with the ball and with Harpreet and we talk about, you know, angles and spin and flight and, you know, all of that stuff. And for me, that was just as exciting as, you know, going out and, you know, having a beer and chasing girls and, and all those other things, which, you know, unfortunately they, you know, sort of took over a little bit as well. But um, yeah, probably nothing, still nothing gets me going as much as a late night just talking talking the game. Yeah, that, that's the that's the very relatable part for you know, all of us club cricketers and aspirants who, who didn't get to play. You know, even at that level you're referring to with minor counties where you're just, you know, half a step away from being in pro ranks. But yeah, club cricket's clearly a big part of your story as well, right? Playing on Saturdays and kind of dominating at that level below the way you explain it. There are seasons where you were taking, you know, you were spitting teams out pretty much every week and it's a... Uh, it must be frustrating where at that, you know, that one level below being a professional, you can dominate, yet the boat or the ship has sailed when it comes to going up the, the pyramid, as it were. Yeah, I was frustrated, I think, late 20s when that when I was in my probably my best form. You know, you're fit as well. You know, you're, yeah. you're, you know your game and you're, you're man fit. You're not a kid anymore. And you, you can dominate a little bit. You know, you've you certainly taught me up there. Hopefully, you know, some people that I played against <laughs> don't sort of think I've taught myself up too much there. But no, you certainly had some success. And I just feel, feel like I wish that at 28, 29, uh, the counties had come knocking and said, you know, actually, we'll give you a game now. Because what I know, what I knew about spin at 21 what I, was not what I knew about spin at 28, 29. And to be honest, now the body's going a bit, but in terms of what you understand about the game and, and, and working out tactics and fields and reading players, that's still fun. That's why I still play because mm, mm. you you can still you can still do that. Um, so, I mean, it was uh, club cricket is fun. I mean, a bit I enjoyed writing about club cricket because that's what most people do. So you, you know, it will come out in the book about playing with Ian Higgins, one of the you know the guys from the great cricket. I'm amazing how. Him and Sam have, you know, made made their career and and talk about grade cricket in in such sort of warts and all terms. And it's in some ways what I've tried to do in parts of Boulder's name is exactly that is actually expose the game that we all know at that level. You know what it's 
you know, you, you, someone's left the scorebook behind or, you know, you haven't got enough sawdust for the game. So someone's got to go down to the pet shop and get this. And, oh God, you know, the, the umpires, you know, he's got to go and have his hernia operated on. So we've got to find someone to come in and all, you know, all these, these things, which as a club cricket captain, you have to deal with and you're persuading half the team to come and play. <laughs> I'll buy you, I'll pay you a match for you. I'll buy you beers afterwards. You can bat at six. It's, you know, it's much harder doing that than it is captaining a, a first class team or a minor counties team. <laughs> Well, yeah, all that sort of weird shit stuff about club cricket. But, you, you know, you give a pretty unvarnished um, take on that. And it's a good comparison to, you know, I know you've played with, with Higos and, and what, what Sam and he have done and explained through their, their fictional character in their books. You know, there is there is a lot to what you're saying there too. Uh, and, you know, um, I, I guess those days when it all does just go right um, as a as a cricketer who's deeper into his career when you were still playing for Dorset, enjoying success there as a, as a captain, the team having made it to several national finals while you're in the side across, you know, the better part of two decades. But, you know, it, it is still addictive, isn't it? Even when you're that deep into it, and you've done it all before. If you have a big day out or you feel like you're on a roll, it, it makes you feel young again straight away, doesn't it? It's even better, I think, because you can you get better at celebrating other people's success. So, you know, I think when you're younger, you you're you're looking to try and impress, and you want to get the five wickets, and you want to be the guy who people are looking at in the papers or people are looking at for selection. Whereas and now, I'm still captain of my my Saturday side here in Hong Kong, and you know, or actually, what I was really enjoyed this year was captaining aside my old boys team at, back in uh, back at Claysmore School in Dorset, where. We got the guy who runs the whole thing is, you know, his he by his own admission isn't a particularly brilliant cricketer, but he's trying really hard with his left arm spin. And he got his first ever five for this summer. And, you know, he bowled the ball for sure. But, you know, I was happy to be at mid-off and get the field right and walking through the pace and walking through the flight. And he'll be delighted, you know, if he gets a mention as, as well here, Greg, because... But he's exactly the character who who takes cricket forward because he's you know he's organising the grounds, he's organising the umpires, he's doing all that all that shit stuff behind the scenes. And so to see him have success on the field in a game where, yeah, probably I could have bowled and got five wickets because it's not a high standard, but who cares really? Much better that he got that five wickets. Mm. Um, but but playing at a level still where it's challenging is. That's nice. We know what you just want to. You just want to be at a place where you you're challenged. You're challenged. The competitive juices still run. It still hurts when you lose. It hurts when you get out. And but you can have that success as well. So it, you know it's like golf, isn't it? It's a game which just one good ball, you know, and you're bowling your off spin now. You know, one that just rags through the gate and clips the top of off. You know, you're coming back. You're coming back next week. For oh that. yeah, I've got I've got the bug at the moment. Don't you worry. As we've been talking about since we played together a couple of weeks ago, I can't get the ball out of my hand at the moment. But you know, like at that level you're referring to, there is where you can give quite a bit back to the game too. And I, I know that that's part of your MCC story there too. Having played a lot of cricket with the with the MCC over the years, and so much of your story is pinned back to Lords with a number of fixtures there from university level through to minor counties through to um, what you've been able to do uh, with the MCC and the privilege of going on tour with them to Croatia, Denmark, Sweden and, and being a, like a senior member of that club for a long time and being able to, through that, you know, make a contribution uh, to parts of the world where the game's still in development mode. Well, there's quite a lot of booze in that as well. <laughs> in the MCC stuff. I did know, detect that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but I said you can do all those things, right? So you can have you can have a great time on tour. I mean, we we had a in Denmark where there was a 
a, a beautiful setup that Spun Home Cricket Club, it was called, and it was a turf wicket, and they had some very, very good, like sort of South Asian players playing. But they had a Merlin set up, they had a bowling machine, it was two two stories. And we did some coaching, and this and this boy, this kid had come up, and he'd travelled 10 hours from Germany. He'd come across the border to bowl leg spin in this game. And, you know, like, when I heard the story of that, I was like, well, I'm going to spend my whole afternoon with this guy because, you know, that's if he's come that far to bowl spin and he's German, you know, that's not a place where cricket is huge. I was just like, you know, what, what, what a great opportunity just to, to be with him. And there was another kid I remember now in Dem- uh, in Sweden when we played over there. I mean, great fun playing in these countries. I don't know anything about cricket. You, you go in a park and people are cycling through and uh, people are taking their, you know, put their picnics down at extra cover and you're like, you, just, you know, you can't, can't be there but yeah like yeah, another young lad who just wanted a bowl spin and again it's just lovely to have an, an when you're in your 30s or 40s and you're able to just go and chat to these guys and pass that on i guess that's the pe- the teacher in me as well but yeah you know it's we're custodians right in the end and the game is is something that we all share and so to pass that passion on is is something which is you know enormously gives a lot of a lot of joy as well but I'll keep playing as long as I can. Well, yeah, this is it, right? Because there's that transition for you where you, you retire at last from minor counties, having done it for so long, and you, you know you've, you've finished up as a club cricketer at that point in England anyway, before moving to Hong Kong. But it's quite an emotional passage in the book where you know you talk about how for 30 years cricket dictated almost all of your life decisions, um, and, and of course uh, took away any semblance of a, of a normal summer. But uh, suddenly you had that normality, and you were able to go on on the summer holidays, and you're able to um, give more to your career you're able to um, give more to your family in ways that weren't possible when you're always playing I mean that that must be nice when you come to the end of that chapter where of your life and career that is where you can you know step step back and assess and be and be not only comfortable and at peace with what you've done but feel quite proud of it too until the point when you in your case your shoulder said no more yeah I don't know I think you always feel that you want to keep going they they always say I mean yeah you listen to interviews and these people always say you know when it's time I did have a few thoughts about, you know, it was 18 years I played for Dorset. So, you know, I was really, really proud when I finished that they gave me life membership there. And I had one of those sort of, you know, guard of honours with the bats, the guys from Berkshire who were playing, they they, they recognised that. We'd had, a, you know, we hadn't always got on. We'd had some ding-dong battles, but there was a real, a real sort of respect for, I guess, the time, maybe not the quality, but the time put in to an amateur, to the amateur sport and to that, to that club, which, you know that that gave me a lot of a lot of pleasure, and to do that in a place in front of my my family, who I told the day before was going to happen, but I only told the team. I only knew the day before. I was standing out at long off, and I just thought to myself, like this is because the, the ground we played at was this wonderful old ground at Dean Park in Bournemouth, mm. where you know, I'd watched Malcolm Marshall play there, and you know Gordon Greenwich and Barry Richards played there, and W. G. Grace and Wilfred Rhodes played there, and you know this was my home ground. It's where I proposed to my wife. It. It's, a, it's where I watched my first ever county championship game with my dad. There was a piece of land there, which just for me was just so, it has sort of sacredness to it. It sounds silly, but actually that's just the way it felt for me. So that was going to be, you know, knocked down for housing or something like this. So we, to finish there with my teammates, my family, and I didn't get the runs and wickets. We lost, we lost the game, which was sad. But yeah, to be at long off and just go, do you know what? Like, this is, this is a good moment to go. There's no more I'm going to do at this point in time. But of course, you know, 
cricket as a funny way it gets your claws in right so mm. I had a couple of years where I didn't play much and then you know I come to Hong Kong and suddenly you're back in fact I was just you know looking at my fixtures coming up and we start in uh in about eight days time so <laughs> you know it's um and I can't wait and you know the boys know that we're we're going we're going to go out to try and win the league again the Gap Ramblers so you know that's uh I don't know. Until I'm, they put me in a box, I'll probably keep playing. It's kind of a predictable postscript to the book, isn't it? When you go, well, I have my summers back. I've gone on, you know, continental holidays with my family and so on. And then, you know, a few paragraphs later, oh, and by the way, I'm playing again in Hong Kong where you're working and, and teaching these days. With Mark Farmer, I should say, former final word guest, the, the high performance boss there at uh, Cricket Hong Kong, who we have a lot of time for uh, here on, on the podcast. But, you know, you may not have the dream anymore, but you've got, as we said before, the bug. And it does mean that you can keep playing. Indeed, the game we played in a few weeks ago there was a guy square legging from the opposition from Hambledon and um, I asked him how long he'd been playing for he was probably in his 50s and he goes that one of his, his greatest regrets in life is stopping playing for 10 years in his 30s he's like oh, I, you, you should never stop you should keep playing it's the kind of game that does let you keep going until hopefully ideally until you're, you're a much older player and you're far past your physical peak and I know you're still playing a, a pretty decent level of cricket now in Hong Kong but you know safe in the knowledge that there'll always be a game for you somewhere be it for you know the MCC or for your old school or indeed now you've written this book for the authors as well yeah I mean but you mentioned the family and I think there's definitely a reality that so my eldest is now off to boarding school in the UK and he can bowl a half decent leggy and I I can't wait for you know two three years time when when we step out together and hopefully bowl bowl in tandem and you know I'm hoping that he gets the wickets not me in that sense and Mm. what is lovely as well about the game now is that you know we're very fortunate Penny played like I said my wife played we both played at Lords in that 2001 she was on the nursery ground we were on the main ground and I think that's I think that's fit now I think they've got the women on the main ground yep. too which is great but to play together at Lords on the same day not many couples do that <laughs> and my daughter plays as well now so I, I'm just really pleased that cricket is an option for my my whole family and not that you know other sports are available <laughs> but um, there's uh you know, the, the, the kids are proud as well. They know the books out there. They see it and they're very proud of the fact that I played this much and, you know, they'll, they'll sort of do their Googling and, oh, wow, you know, you, you did this and the other. And I think that gives them enough of a drive to to go and do it for themselves as well, which is which is awesome. So it's, um, I hope that family comes through as a theme in the book as mm. well as the, as well as the boozing and the, the self-regret as well. <laughs> it's a great ride. It, it's, a, it's a fabulous book in, in many ways, and um, I'm glad that we've had the chance to talk about it today. Tom Hicks, thanks for joining the final word to talk about Bowler's Name, uh, The Life of a Cricketing Also Ran. Hello, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Tom Hicks for jumping on after that super typhoon in Hong Kong. Before signing off, I should say that I meant to ask in the interview, but it did slip my mind, about the ICEC report from a couple of months ago and his thoughts on it from the perspective of somebody who's enjoyed a career in a system that's clearly in need of a shake-up here in England. I'd summarise his off-tape response as being extremely mindful of his privilege and very supportive of the game, doing a much better job of expanding opportunities across the board and wants to be part of that in the next phase of his cricketing life. Right, this has been the first edition of the Final Word Book Club. A quick thank you to Riley Beveridge, listener to the show and gun journalist at afl.com.au for prompting this new segment. And if there is a cricket book you'd like us to feature in the future, maybe one that didn't get the love it should have when it was released or something like that, feel free to drop us a line. Next up in the feed on Saturday is Story Time on the weekend. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. I had to go away.